You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight we find ourselves again in Hebrews, tonight in the 10th chapter. We're starting to see some applications tonight of the things that we find taught earlier in the book. In chapter 10, uh, we saw the uh, unsurpassed and unequal sacrifice of Christ, the willing sacrifice of Emmanuel, God who came to be with us in the flesh to be the Lamb of God, the sin bearer, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And we saw that uh, how his sacrifice was so beyond those sacrifices under the law, and his blood taken to the heavenly sanctuary as his place of service, as opposed to those priests under the old system uh, who ministered in a glorious temple, but one without full access to God. And so we'll see that the uh, sacrifice and the forgiveness that comes to us uh, through faith in him and in it uh, bring us a, uh, a way unto God, a new and a living way. And so this 10th chapter will now end with some exhortations, the exhortation uh, to fidelity and uh, love tonight in our study, and next time the uh, exhortation to not <coughs> to not uh, refuse God in the grace that he's offered and the thing that he's doing. Uh, we have uh, here the uh, outline, the visual outline we've been using, Uh, how we saw the main arguments advanced in the book, that uh, uh, Christ was greater than the angels and a comparison to him and humanity, uh, how he was uh, a greater service than of Moses and uh, gave us a a greater priesthood. Uh, He was greater particularly than than Aaron and the high priest. He brought a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises, that there was a better mediation and a better ministry, and last time, the greater sacrifice. There's been some exhortations along the way. The danger of neglect, the danger of not believing God's word, the danger of immaturity, the danger even of falling away in the harsh and uh, and stern warning of chapter 6, but also an exhortation to confidence in God's word. And here, a second uh, exhortation of confidence a second exhortation toward uh, a sound and living faith. If we were in one of the other uh, epistles, like uh, the prison epistles in particular, uh, which divide themselves uh, quite neatly (laughs) into the doctrinal sections and then the practical or the exhortation, the application sections, we would really, uh, probably in Hebrews, draw such a line here. Uh, so in, in the book of Romans, there's uh, 13 chapters of laying out of the doctrine. And then there's uh, five chapters of applying the doctrine. Uh, and two of those in particular about relationships with brethren. Uh, but we have this uh, uh, ethical uh, consideration. We have this lifestyle, uh, these life matters, uh, these practical matters uh, in Christ. But we always have the doctrine first. 
these ethical things and these practical things are built on the doctrine. So the truth of who Christ was and what Christ did, that is the foundation upon which these other dimensions of our lives are built. And so all the moral power of it, all the persuasive power of it, all the power to live in the upward call of Jesus Christ is found in the truth that is in Christ. So we have the scriptural truth uh, given to us, and then we have uh, the application of these things in our lives. And so we find that tonight. So tonight we begin the exhortations uh, toward uh, greater service, the exhortation to faithfulness, the exhortations to fidelity. And so uh, here in chapter 10, uh, we'll have a short exhortation, and we'll see it concentrated. You see the outline there on the things really <coughs> that are the most important things in Christ. We'll see the key words of faith, hope, and love. So we'll have access granted to us through Christ, and then we see faith, hope, and love. So read along with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere faith or sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. And so what we want to concentrate is on these things of faith, of hope, and love, because we have been provided and given so much in Christ. And so without Christ uh, to give us these things, I don't know how we would have the ethics. I don't know how we'd have faith, hope, and love. Uh, the power of this is fully given and uh, granted uh, to us in Jesus Christ. And to try and have the Christian ethics, the Christian morality, a Christian life apart from Christ is to try to have a car that has no engine. Or uh, this illustration uh, that uh, I used at uh, another time for another sermon, I thought we'd, we'd draw this one out again. Uh, we note uh, we have our horse, and we have our cart. And we note that there's only one way that this arrangement works. If we want to go uh, take our load in a direction the horse is not going, we're going to get nothing done. If we want to uh, have uh, the morality and ethics of Christianity, but not the faith, not the connection with Christ, not the knowledge of our Savior, well, we've literally got the cart before the horse. And then sometimes, even if we want to get these things going in the right direction, in the same direction, but we're not completely hooked up, right, uh, then we won't, we won't work either. 
this arrangement with the horse and the cart only work in one direction and only work in one connection. And so it is the same with us and the life of Christ and the ethics and the life of a Christian. We cannot expect those who are uh, failing and faltering Christians or certainly those who are not Christians at all to have these kind of morals and ethics uh, be empowered in their life so as to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's only in the arrangement where things are properly ordered in and through Christ, and he would take us along the journey that he's laid out for us. So, verse 19, as we begin our reading tonight, therefore, since we have that great sacrifice, the one time for all time sacrifice, and the full forgiveness of sins, those are the things in our prior lesson, then we now have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So this is our access ticket. This is our way in. This is the only way that we may have any confidence at all. We think about the Jews under the Old Testament. The one thing forbidden them was access to the holy place. Uh, most of the nations, of course, couldn't even go in the temple, only the Jews. There was a section of the uh, inner part of the courtyard where only the men of Israel could go. Then there was an inner courtyard even to that where only the priest could go. Then there was the building itself where only the appointed priest on his day of ministry could go. And then there was the Holy of Holies where only the high priest himself once a year could go. So one thing you didn't have there was you did not have access. I'm not sure if uh, ancient tourists ever uh, took a tour uh, of uh, the temple with uh, local guys to guide them. But one thing I'm sure if they did, they never had, was an all-access pass because there was no all-access. The way was cut off. There was no way to come nearer to God than your assigned station. But now, in Christ, now in Christ, the way is open. Uh, back in chapter 9, we we're told that the way to the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle still standing. It's a symbol for the present time. Well, that time was passing because now they've come to the time of Christ, where all believers were welcome, even those who weren't Jews. From Ephesians 2, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens of the saints. You're of God's household. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's through him we all have our access in one spirit to the Father. So this was accomplished and this was done through the blood of Christ. Nothing else would do. Nothing else has done. Nothing else will ever do. So as we sing in the hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, that in Christ, in the sacrifice, in the offering of himself, comes a way in, a way of access, a way, verse 20, it says that is new and living. So they'd had that Old Testament system under Moses for approximately 1,500 years. It had been suspended a while during the captivity, but basically for a millennia and a half, they had that covenant. And that covenant had shown itself weak and useless, as we read in uh, chapter 7 
and in chapter 9, for it made nothing perfect. But now comes the new way of life, the new living way, right? Back in chapter 8 from the prophecy of Jeremiah, it was concluded when he said there's a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. And so if the new way is a living way, then the old way is a dead way. So there's a new way to God. It's through Christ. There's an old way. There's a dead way. Who wants to be on the dead train express? Who wants to be in the way of death? That's why we come to Christ. We want life. And he came to give life. And so that we might have it all the more abundantly. So he inaugurated this through the veil that is his flesh. In the Old Testament, there's not, it's there, but it's not a major thing. The veil, that ornate, uh, adorned by angels, uh, angels were embroidered in it with golden thread, that, that ornate tapestry that separated the holy place, uh, the temple, regular part of the temple, if you can say anything of the temple is regular, from the most holy place, uh, the room where uh, God, uh, God's presence was, uh, the room with the Ark of the Covenant, the room with the mercy seat, the room where the high priest would go in that yearly visit. That room was separated from the rest of the temple by this great tapestry called the veil. Uh, and so think something like the, the most ornate and elaborate and, and heavy or, uh, oriental rug uh, that you've ever, ever considered in. And the thing was massive in size. I think the one in the temple uh, was 10 cubits uh, square. And so it's, it's a big thing. And so here Jesus, his flesh is called that veil. And the veil has been uh, mentioned back in chapter 9. We had behind the second veil, it says, where the tabernacle uh, it, it, behind that was called the Holy of Holies. That veil was the separating line. On one side of that veil was the side of God. And on the other side of that veil, was the side of men. And you think about Jesus as the veil, uh, that he, uh, in his life, uh, he fulfills the figure of that, that he is God and man, right? He, he bridges, and he's the entrance. He's the way for men uh, to come to the place of God. And so here is Jesus, uh, who is the veil. And when that first veil was still there, it was not yet known. How, how do we all get to God? And what do we know from the Gospel of Matthew? At the very time that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, Matthew 27, 51, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And so that veil was removed when the true veil, the, the true uh, bridge of God and man, not there as a separator anymore, but as a way of access, a way into God, uh, completed his work. And so here is Jesus, uh, the one who, uh, yes, in some way divides uh, today men from God, because if you don't come through Jesus, you're not going into God, but also that way of access, that way of access. So that beautiful and ornate tapestry, again, adorned with the embroidery of golden angels, that is a sign and type of Christ, uh, who was God with us, 
the way of access at the proper time, and the one accompanied by angels. So here he was, uh, bringing us uh, in the veil and through the veil, uh, in his flesh, as it says in verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Well, we could go back and give half of chapter 5 and half of chapter 7, and a good bit of chapter 10 is references to Jesus as our high priest, but we've, <coughs> we've made a lot of study of that. We'll just note again the quote from Psalm 40, as the Hebrew writer does, that he made the sacrifice once for all. He sat down then at the right hand of God. And so here's the high priest, uh, not like these, again, high priest of of men and high priest of the law uh, who had to go in, uh, do the, the yearly business, and get back out until their next appointment the next year. And they were always standing and always ministering and always doing things. Here is Christ who comes once for all. He accomplishes his work, and he sits down. His work is done. He's a high priest over the house of God. It's his temple now, as it were. It's He's the priest. He's the one who has uh, made uh, the way there for us. He's the one now who operates it, ever living to make intercession for us. This great high priest oh, <coughs> over the house of God. So there's access. First thing, there's access. There's confident access. There's more than uh, uh, adequate access for him to bring us in. And again, that was the very purpose of him coming. He came that we might have access. There still is in the temple of God a God who is, as the scriptures describe him in Isaiah and in Revelation, holy, holy, holy. It's still an awesome thing to come into the presence of God. Uh, Isaiah was undone in Isaiah 6 when he came to the throne of God. And uh, well, John the Apostle, uh, he fell over like a dead man to see the glorified Jesus. But we're invited into this temple where these most holy ones are. We are to draw near, it says, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Now, we know the thing that robs us of assurance, and that's our knowledge of sin, the knowledge of our own sin. Our conscience uh, condemns us. Our conscience tells us we're not worthy to be in his presence. But by the promise of God, through the blood of Christ, we're told we were washed and sanctified and justified, that's 1 Corinthians 6, that those things were done so that we could we were not worthy to come in, but we can draw near with confidence because we've been fully invited by God's plan. We're not an interloper to go in there. We're not sneaking in. We're coming in the front door with our name announced as an honored guest because he invites us in and asks us to come in full assurance of faith. That high priest, the man at the top of the holy chain, of priests on earth. He had to go offer sacrifice for his own sin, go back out, come in, offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. If he was thinking about it and thinking rightly, he uh, must have felt unworthy every step of the way. 
we, if we think about without Christ and before Christ approaching God, it's terrifying. It, it undoes us. It, it really, it, uh, it plays in our mind greatly. But because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the promise of full forgiveness of sins, because of the repeated affirmations that, yes, I have done what was needed for you, you are welcome to come in. Please come in, Jesus says. Come into my temple. Get close. As uh, one of the prophets of the people said, sit a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all, no, sorry, that was, that was the great hymn singer, Lester Flat, <laughs> in another context. But, but come with this open and this earnest invitation. This is a sincere and earnest invitation of God for us to come in and be with Jesus. That restrictive access of the Old Testament is no more. The structures that restricted access, they were taken out of the way. One was miraculously torn, and then I guess they repaired that for a few years, and then the temple itself, the symbol of that old system, was removed, <coughs> was removed by the providence of God in judgment on those who rejected the Messiah. And so here is a holy God inviting in those who were once not a people and those who were not a holy people, but now he has made them by the sacrifice of his son. He has made them a holy people. He has made us a holy people. And he tells sinners, I want you to come to me and I want you to come this way. And so I want you to have this full assurance of faith. Have a sincere heart. Sincerity is important, but it's a sincere belief in Christ. It's not sincerity for sincerity's sake. It's sincerity in faith in Christ. And with that comes a full assurance that, yes, you are welcome in. So come uh, free of guilt, free of guile, free of deceit, free of hypocrisy, Come admitting your sin, come admitting your faith, and come then in full assurance because your hearts have been sprinkled clean of an evil conscience. So uh, this is the, the figure, again, of the Old Testament worship. We think about back in chapter 9 where there was a sprinkling of uh, uh, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. We think about all that that was sprinkled around uh, to cleanse. And so uh, we have our hearts sprinkled in that same way. And I think the sprinkling here is of the blood of Christ. I, I don't think there's a reference there to uh, to baptism uh, by sprinkling, because for one thing, it's really kind of hard uh, to sprinkle the heart, isn't it? I mean, that, that, would, that would be quite an invasive operation uh, to sprinkle the heart. So the, 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 the heart, I think the, the figure here drawn from the Old Testament worship is the heart is sprinkled clean with the blood of Christ. And what do we speak of as cleansing us, right? Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so there's a cleansing that takes place of the heart. The heart is sprinkled clean, and that the action there is the blood of Christ. Now, we do have in the rest of verse 22, 
another figure, and bodies washed in pure water. So that's where I think we have baptism, not in the sprinkling of the heart by the blood of Christ, but here's the symbol uh, that this was done. Here's the action that's connected to that, that the bodies were washed. And so here's the separation between us and the unbelievers. Here's the time uh, that's connected to the justification and the sanctification. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks there uh, in, with baptism in regard to those things. Uh, and in Ephesians 5, it talks about uh, being cleansed by the washing of water and the word. Or in Titus 3, there's a washing of regeneration and a renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so here, I think, is the reference uh, to baptism, to that separation of the believers from the world, of that profession of a, of faith in Christ, of, as Peter would say, an appeal to God of a good conscience, 1 Peter 3.21, the washing away of sins, Acts 22.16, and the like. And so with that, then, we hold fast our confession. So we made our confession, and... Uh, well, we, we do that when we're washed. When our bodies are washed, and I can only think of one washing of the body in relation to the things of salvation, in the wash, time of the washing of the body with the water, there's also the confession, right? What did we confess in our baptism? What were we saying we believed in? On whose name did we do that? On whose name did we call? So hold fast. The confession of what? Our hope. And what's our hope? Our hope is not that we're going to get to heaven. No, I, I, I hope that. I think we should all hope that. The hope here is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. We made a confession of our hope, right? And Jesus is our hope. He's the one who promised to do these things. Uh, we believe that he has. Uh, we believe that he will. And so the confession of our hope, I think, is nothing other than our confession of Christ. And this is a sure hope. We, again, chapter 6, we had the lengthy section on uh, God's promises to Abraham backed up with an oath in which there was you know, strong confidence and uh, reason uh, to, uh, to believe, uh, the hope that is an anchor for the soul. We also have uh, the holding fast our confession uh, based on, you know, of Jesus Christ in Hebrews back in uh, 4, 14, since we have this great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. But what's our confession? That he's the Son of God and that we believe in him. So here's our hope. Our hope is built, as we sing in the song, on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So here's our hope. Our hope is in God. Our hope is through Jesus Christ. So faith to hold to, and now that hope held fast unto the end without wavering, right? It says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who promised this is faithful. There's no shifting shadow. There's no variation in him. There needs to be none in our hope. Our hope is to be secured fully in Jesus. So We've got a faith to hold, and now we've got that hope that, to which we hold fast. Now, in the last part of this exhortation, we go to love, right? Faith, hope, and love. Now, 
Hey, the faith and the hope are great, but what did Paul say about the love? The greatest is love. So now we've got love to share. All right, how are we going to share it? We're going to get together. And we're going to treat each other kindly. We're going to treat each other nicely. We're going to worship God together. We're going to see how we can help each other on to further love and good deeds. So let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Some of these Hebrew brethren were quite weak and discouraged. We, we found out, I guess actually, sorry, we will find out when we get over to chapter 12, that there are some knees that are feeble. There are some hands that are weak. There are some feet that aren't quite solidly on the path. And we're going to try and get that straightened out. And so we're going to provoke each other to love and good deeds, because that is the object of the Christian enterprise, to show the love of Christ, to demonstrate that in our uh, in our lives, in our families, in our communities, with our neighbors, in our congregations, with our brethren. And so let's get to showing each other and providing each other reasons for love. So how do we do that? Well, that can be a good example to brethren. Uh, we could actually be kind to brethren. Uh, we could practice those things of First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen. Love doesn't do any any wrong to a brother, but instead love is patient and love is kind, uh, and love does all of those other things. Uh, when we get to chapter thirteen, we're going to be told to let brotherly love continue. We've already been told back in chapter three to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called the day. Uh, where Paul keeps telling people, you know, brethren, pray for us. First uh, Thessalonians and second Thessalonians. And we'll get that again in Hebrews 13, 18. And so through prayer and, of course, the assembling of ourselves together, verse 25. So there's a love that is to be uh, sought after and encouraged and shared with all. And part of that, and I think we'd really make a mistake if we thought all of it was, or even most of it was, in the assembling together. But certainly the assembling together should be a time for love and a time for encouragement into good deeds. So verse 25, our concluding verse tonight, not forsaking our own assembling together. So let's be together. We've got this high priest who died for us. We've got this salvation that we all share in. We've got this common belief that is the driving force in our lives behind the way we live and the way we act and the way we view the world. So let's get together with the other people that share that, right? And when we get together, uh, let's make sure we encourage one another. We'll note a couple of things here that are given here uh, afterwards as, as modifiers. As important things. First, he says, as is the habit of some. There's some who, as habit, habitually don't assemble. Now, I think we should attend every worship we can, but I also think whenever somebody misses a service uh, for some reason we think maybe is less than ideal, or we think, well, they really should have been here, I think. And we smack them with this about the habitual uh, missers. 
the habitual non-attenders because uh, you missed a service, I think we're we're uh, setting a standard that's not in this verse. Now, there's good reasons to be at every service. I wish everybody was at more. I wish everybody had the opportunity to be. I wish they all had the resources to be. I, I wish that uh, there was more attendance at all of them. But uh, it's really, I think, a bit of an unkindness to slap this verse onto everybody who's ever missed anything for any reason, because they aren't habitually gone. Uh, that's that's the first thing. There is a habitual missing that is certainly under uh, exhortation here. Um, well, maybe more than exhortation, under admonition here. And so the habitual missers, there's an admonition. Uh, there is a remonstrance here. There is some rebuke here. Instead, the, the, the other thing to be pursued, and this is, I think, the positive case for not missing it, uh, uh, <coughs> if at all possible, is instead <laughs> there's an encouragement. Be an encouragement to others present. Help the others who are present in their life to live out love and good deeds. Now, that's a that's a reason to be there every time, much more than the rebuke of, hey, you missed again, or hey, you missed one, or you missed two. Again, it's the habitual ones that are under the rebuke, but it's everybody that's under uh, the uh, encouragement to be an encouragement. And, and make sure when we do this such things that we really are an encouragement uh, to folks. So be an encouragement. And the other is, you don't know how long you're going to be able to do this. You just don't. You don't know, and, and we think about how in, in our recent times, COVID uh, jumped up on us. And not just our uh, assembly, but everybody's assembly everywhere. The number of people who have been absent and had to be absent some for extended periods of time from the assembly because of uh, health concerns, because of health consequences, uh, because in some places, uh, government shutdown. Uh, I, I've told you all about my friend out in the L.A. area. His congregation uh, was between the government uh, regulations and the fact that they were meeting in a, a public building that they rented a room in and were denied access to the room and actually, you know, uh, for so long denied uh, uh, legal right to meet indoors, their congregation did not meet in the way that we normally meet for 71 weeks. Now, I think at some point I'd be breaking the law. <laughs> it was 71 weeks. But let th th their leadership and their situation uh i'm i'm not in you know uh i'm not in a, in a neighborhood close to downtown la under those situations actually but one of the reasons i'm here and not in california anymore is the things of california but hey, there are people there that need to be served and taught but they didn't know that was coming and others for other reasons have not been able to meet uh when they wanted as they wanted and sometimes there's somebody who's away from services for a while, and then they're never able to be here again. And so 
whatever exactly it is in verse uh, 25 when it says, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near, that might have been the days of persecution that would not let them meet. That might have been what's coming in their uh, historical timeline in just a year or two or three down the road, the destruction of Jerusalem, where the Christians will have to flee the city they live in because of the uh, of the you know the invasion of their land. Uh, they in a few years they would never be able to meet with those folks again. There's some who think maybe this is the Lord's day. You're getting ready for the Lord's day. There's there's some I think useful admonition there. But I think in whatever way in this drawing near day was, it was the day that was going to not let them do what they were just right now giving up. And so for you guys who are giving up on this, for you guys who are, and it is a we- it is a thing when, when people are habitually gone. It is a weakness. It is a, a thing being put out of joint. It is a thing not helpful. When you recognize you're giving up the opportunity of these blessings uh, for f- from others to you and of you to others, what should you do, right? And just like we think about, um, you know, visiting those who are sick, uh, especially if there's, uh, you know, some real concern for the state of their health. Uh, you never know when the last visit will be, right? And so whenever you took your time to go and see the person, you're never sorry that you did. Uh, there's been times, and you know, it's uh, it still bothers me a bit to some day, uh, to, to some degree today, that there are people I was asked to go see. I just I didn't go do it. They passed before I got there. There's other times where it's like I, uh, you know, I really need to go see these people today. I got busy, but I need to go see them today. There are times when I didn't know it, but I end up visiting a person a day or two before they passed, and so. You're never sorry that you went. You're just not. And the same with church. When you go in a spirit of love to be a blessing to other people and going to let them be a blessing to you, you'll never be sorry that you went. And you assembled in the name of Jesus who died for you. You were reminded of the gospel, that he did that for you, and he uh, brought such blessings to our lives. You'll never be sad that you did such a thing. And so here's our first set of encouragements. We have an access through Jesus to God. So our faith, we hold fast. Our hope, we also continue to hold that uh, fast. And our love we have with others to share. All right, so that's our first exhortation based on this Forgiveness and access and uh, provision made in Christ. And it's a pretty positive one. But now we're going to turn to an exhortation uh, in the next section that's a, a little darker, uh, reminding yet again, uh, now for the third or fourth time in the book, not to ignore the things that God is offering. And then that will bridge us to uh, the great chapter on faith where we have so many good examples of the in the past who did such marvelous things and still encourage and stir our souls today. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. 
Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.